This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Uh, we're starting a brand new series called Live No Lies. And I'm excited about this message. Here's my title today. I'm going to share the title with you so you know you could just put a seat belt on. Who is the devil and what is truth? A couple of big topics today. We'll be here for about three hours, so hope you had breakfast. Just kidding. I won't keep you forever, but we will. I hope that by the time we leave today, you will have a clear answer on who is the devil and what is truth. So is the devil real? Is the devil real? And if yes, who is he? What does he do? I think there could be a unifying statement in the room today and probably even largely in, in our culture and society, in the world, we could agree that there is evil in the world. I think that it's safe to say or we could agree on that, that our world is not thriving. That when we look out into society, when we look around the world, we don't necessarily see that it's thriving. Recent years have been marked by social un- unrest, Online outrage, widespread disillusionment. Who do we blame for this? Some people blame the left. It's the left. It's Antifa. It's the radicals on the left. Some people say, no, I don't think so. It's the right. It's the proud boys. It's the alt-right. It's the extremists on this side. We have different opinions about what is this force behind evil in the world. But I think that we can agree on something. I think that we can agree that there is something deeply wrong with us. With humanity, with our soul, there is something, there is something that is deeply off. And to ruffle a few feathers today, it's not only that there's an evil out there. There's an evil out there. The truth is that there's an evil also within. There's, there's an evil within warring for our soul. Pastoral confession, there's evil within me. There's a war within my soul for good and evil. To ruffle your feathers, I will let you know. There's also evil within you. There's there's an evil force in the world. Because I know that every day I do things that I don't want to do in spite of my best efforts. Me with my best efforts on my best day alone, (laughs) evil will win. Every day there are things that I have to repent for because evil wins in my life. So it's not necessarily who or what is the force behind evil. What what does it look like? What is this force in the world but also in our souls? What is this force behind the evil in the world and in our souls? Some, if we were just to kind of ask, if if I were to ask us and we were to share answers, I think we'd have answers like, it's terrorism. It's criminals. It's Illuminati. It's the Hollywood elites. Some of you would be like, no. It's politicians. It's world leaders. It's communists. Extremists. It's the left. It's the right. These are the forces behind evil. But the Bible actually takes a very different approach on evil and who or what are our actual enemies. According to the Bible, which this series is going to be unpacking these things, according to the Bible, our enemies, there are three things we're going to be unpacking in the series. It's the world, 
It's the flesh and it's the devil. And these are going to be the enemies that we're studying in this series. And so for fun today, we're going to start with the devil. Who is the devil? The devil. I said it. Y'all were thinking it. I'll go ahead and say it. The devil. So here's our goal for this series. Here's our goal for Live No Lies. The goal is to unmask the face of our enemies and to develop a strategy to fight back. We're going to know our enemy. We're going to develop a strategy to fight back because we have to know our enemy. And it's not just about what do we think or what does society say, but we're going to look at what God's word says. And we're going to start off with looking at what Jesus teaches about the devil and what Jesus believed about the devil. So we're just going to jump in. Are y'all ready? All right. John 8, 31. It's a, it's a longer scripture, but we see very clearly uh, what Jesus believed about the devil and what he taught about it. So it starts off, it says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. I'm just going to pause for a moment and let you know that there's a major theme in the first half of your Bible called the Old Testament. That's all about these folks being enslaved. It's a major theme in the Bible. And so I'm surprised that savage, savage Jesus doesn't show up here and just start like slashing and dashing these guys because they're, they're just completely wrong. here. he's like, we, we've never been enslaved to anyone. And then they say, how is it you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them much nicer than I would have expected, to be honest. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are an offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. For my 90s kids in the house, he's saying, who's your daddy? He's drawn, he's drawn a distinctive line here. And in fact, the next passage of scripture has a subtitle that says, you are of your father, the devil. This is exactly where Jesus is going with it. So he jumps in on verse 39 and, he's, and they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the, fa- the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality, which would have been a, a really bad insult to them. Basically, he's calling them a spiritual bastard. And I didn't mean to say that in church, but that's the reality of the context. They're, they're super offended. They're like, oh, we are not We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do what your father desires. Listen to what he says here. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. 
So this is the most clear and in-depth teaching we get from Jesus about what he believed about the devil. So we're going to look at three foundational beliefs that Jesus teaches here about the devil. And the first thing is, is that Jesus believed that the devil is real. The devil is, is a real creature. The devil is not a concept. It's not an idea. It's not a cartoon character with little horns and a pitchfork and a red tail. He's not Will Ferrell in an SNL skit. He's not a talking snake, but the devil is a real force that is behind evil and is at war in our soul. We believe that the devil is real. Number two, Jesus believed that the devil is a murderer. He tells him very clearly, he says, he says he was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in truth. He's a murderer from the beginning. Meaning that, look at John 10.10, 10, it says, the thief comes... Shout at church, only, only to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes only to come against all that God is doing in your your soul, in your lives, in your relationships, in your churches, in society, all across the world. The enemy is coming against all that God is doing. And let me tell you this, this only means that the devil doesn't care. He doesn't care if it's a child. He doesn't care if this child's in a vulnerable state. He doesn't care if somebody's going through a lot. He doesn't doesn't care. He comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a murderer. He seeks to ruin everything. And number three, Jesus believed that the devil's, listen to this, primary weapon was lies. The devil's primary weapon was lies. The devil is the origination, origination point of deception. It's his native language. That's what some translations say. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is the origination point for deceit and for lies, and that is his primary weapon. Usually when we think about spiritual warfare or maybe being attacked by the devil, we think of it in terms like, I've just been under so much spiritual attack lately, and I, got, I, got, I had a flat tire, and I overdrafted my account, and my kid has lice, and then the other kid has strep, and I got in a fight with my spouse, and all I had, I've been having nightmares, and we think about all of these things and we go, I've been under spiritual attack. But I don't see any of those things listed here in scripture. What we see though, what we see in Jesus's definition of the devil is this, that the devil is an intellectual debate with the religious leaders of his day over truth and lies. He's an intellectual debate over truth and lies. And I think that we could probably get most people to agree with that in some sense. Where it becomes difficult for us is this. Well, what is truth? Well, today we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about who is the devil and what is truth. So just to recap, Jesus believes this. He believes that the devil is real, a literal creature, that the devil is real, that the devil's agenda is to destroy and ruin everything. And number three, that the devil's primary attack is through lies. Does he come through disease and destruction and dreams? Probably he does those things, but honestly, those things are secondary to his primary attack. His primary attack is through lies. No one, no one says, oh, I've just been under so much spiritual warfare lately. I, I've been tempted to believe things that are false. When that's actually and historically where spiritual warfare takes place. The fight, against, the fight against the devil is to believe truth over lies. 
The fight against the devil is to believe truth over lies. And historically, theologians and and church teachers have taught this, that spiritual warfare takes place in our minds. It does not come in disease, destruction, dreams, flat tires, or arguments. It comes over, it comes through deceit and through lies. Colossians 2.8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, or ideas, we could look at the word philosophy like ideas, ideologies, and empty deceit. There's deception there. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. I think it's important for us to understand, and understanding this verse, even historically and currently, how our minds are shaped. Historically, before media access, especially to the level that we have it now, the minds of children were shaped and formed by their parents. Parents were the ones to, to shape their ch- children's minds with ideology and worldview. Parents shaped that. And Christian parents would shape their children's minds based on God's word. They were the main ones to shape their minds. That's just not the case anymore. Now our minds are shaped by TED Talks. Did you know this? TED Talks, the whole point of TED Talks is to shape the way we think. And it stands for technology, entertainment, and design. And these are primarily the ways that our minds are shaped in today's society. Technology, entertainment, and design. But look at what the scripture says in Colossians 2.8. If you could put that back up, please. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So a lot of us, our minds have been shaped by things that are not according to Christ. John Mark Comer, who is the author of the book, Live No Lies, all of this series is based on a book called Live No Lies, and you're welcome to buy that book on Amazon and follow along and read it and dig into it if you want more content on this. But the author of the book says it this way. He says, our fight with the devil is a fight to take back control of our minds, from their captivity to lies, and to liberate them with the weapon of truth. To liberate them with the weapon of truth. But what is truth? That's society's favorite question today, isn't it? What is truth? Who defines truth? How do we know what is truth? Well, culture tells us truth is what you feel. Truth is defined by you. You define your truth. And what's difficult with that is that we can come up against um, reality which is not congruent with what we feel. We can feel a certain way. We can feel that something is true, but it cannot be congruent with what is real. And this question of what is truth has been asked for a long, long time. In fact, there's a scene in the Bible where Jesus is being tried. He's on his way to crucifixion, and he's letting them know why he came. And Pontius Pilate, had an opportunity to free Jesus from being crucified. But he was playing a political move, and he's trying to appease the masses. He didn't want a mob coming after him. So he's, he's like, oh, let the people decide. In John 18, 37, Jesus is, is being tried by Pilate, and he says this. Jesus says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. What is truth? So this question has been asked for a long time. So what is truth? I have a simple definition for us today. Truth is reality. 
Truth is reality. Truth is what you run into when you are wrong. Because we can feel a certain way about things if truth is what we feel. Well, I can feel a certain thing, but when I come against reality, it's not going to bend to my deception if my feelings are wrong. Truth isn't going to bend to that. So, so truth is what you run into when you think you are wrong. For illustrative purposes, I could have, but decided not to, for obvious reasons, have a very tall ladder in here. We have very high ceilings. We could have a very tall ladder. And it, it could be true that I feel that I could fly, that I believe that I could fly. And I could, I could believe that I could fly and I could climb to the top of the ladder, but I'm going to come face to face literally with reality that is incongruent with what I believe. Because I cannot fly. I love the analogy as well of a little kid who believes that they can swim. If you've ever raised children to the point where they can actually swim, you know there's this window in which they cannot swim and they can swim, and then this middle ground where they think they can swim. But they cannot swim. And it's not kind or loving of a parent to champion them and their ideas and their belief of their truth that they can swim when they cannot swim because it could be detrimental to them. It would lead to destruction of that child. It is unkind and unloving to champion somebody in a false reality. So truth is reality. Then a lie is this. A lie is a statement that does not correspond with reality. Truth corresponds to reality. And the the thing that can make this difficult is that we have the ability to hold ideas that do not correspond with reality. It's called an imagination. And it's actually, this is an amazing thing. This is a gift from God that he's given us an imagination that we can hold ideas that are not congruent with reality. This is what allows us to be creative. This is what allowed us to plant a church. We could imagine a preferred future and we could begin taking steps and actions to move towards that preferred future that was not yet a reality. We can all go to the store and we can find ingredients because we can imagine a preferred reality of all of these ingredients together coming together to make something amazing. And this is actually something that is, dis- that is exclusively within humanity. It separates us from all other creatures in the world. Your dog cannot do this. Your dog does not sit around and imagine a better future. Your dog is just happy to be there. Your dog's not imagining... If they had AC in their dog house, their dog's not, your dog's not imagining any of these things. Neither is your cat, by the way. The smartest monkey in the world cannot imagine a preferred future and begin to move towards that future. There's, they don't have those creative abilities. That is a gift that God has given us. We have the capacity for imagination. So we can hold in our minds what we want, we, begin, we can begin to move towards that. So this is a gift that God has given us, and it is simultaneously our Achilles heel because it comes with it, the ability to believe in an unreality that can confine us to something that is false, to a, to a false present. So we can imagine a better future, or we can be locked into a lie today that puts us in a prison. So we can be creative or we can be locked into a lie that is a a false reality. Dallas Willard said it this way. He's an author. He's written several books. He said, we live at the mercy of our ideas. And I just wonder if anybody's had a bad idea. You thought it was a good idea at the beginning. We all think the ideas are good. You had an idea at the beginning and then it went rogue somewhere. And maybe it caused a lot of destruction around you and it was all rooted in. I had this idea and maybe the idea was first and foremost founded on something that was not even true. 
some kind of idea that went wild. Maybe it was you imagined uh, a relationship with a, a certain person, that this would be a preferred future, and it was not. You maybe ignored some red flags along the way. Maybe there was a business idea. You're convinced you were going to make a lot of money or some money doing a certain thing. You set out to do that. You had an idea, and it went rogue. I think that we've all done those things, right? So when Jesus calls the devil a liar, he's, he's echoing what was stated in Genesis 3 in the beginning of time. The first recorded uh, conversations we have of humanity. Jesus is echoing Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Let's look at what it says. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, this is what the serpent, who is crafty, says, Did God really say? Did God really say? So there's an idea, there's a thought, there's a lie. His, his main attack on us is deception and lies. And he comes in to counter and to question and to cause us to doubt God's voice in our lives. Did God really say, you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat, from the, from the, eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he just comes in with a seed of doubt. Verse 6, it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was was good for food, so it's good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. This is an important part for how the enemy attacks us and lies to us. This fruit was not rotting, it didn't stink, and it wasn't full of maggots, and it wasn't going to make her dumb. This this fruit was enticing to her. It it says it looked good and pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I think it's important for us to notice what the serpent did not come with. He did not come with a gun. He did not come with disease. He did not come with a dream. He did not come with a flat tire. He did not come with a fight between spouses. He did not come with uh, a toddler who doesn't want to comply. He didn't come with disaster. He didn't come with a politician. And he didn't come with anybody from Hollywood. What he came with was a lie. He came with an idea. He came with deceit. That's what he came with. And this is powerful for us because we can actually live as though a lie is true until it it becomes true for us. We can live as though a lie is true until it becomes true for us. Maybe there's, um, there's probably more than one of us in here who, who has gone through something difficult as a child, maybe through divorce or parental abandonment or something like that. And somewhere along the lines, the enemy comes in and he whispers something like, you're never going to be worthy of being loved. You're never going to be worthy of being loved. And that's such a lie. That's a lie because you are worthy of being loved because God loves you and he made you in his image and God has a plan and a purpose for you and there are people who want to love you and you are worthy of being loved and yet the enemy comes in with this lie that says you're never worthy of being, you're never gonna be loved. And then we start to live as though that lie is true and then we start to do things that are demeaning or degrading or disrespectful to ourselves so that we're not loved by people in a loving and respectful kind of way. 
And then because we believe this lie that says you're never worthy of being loved, then we start to live hostile towards people. We start to, to reject people, and we start to live with the mindset of, I'm going to reject you before you reject me because I don't really believe that I'm worthy of being loved when it's all rooted in a lie. But when we live as though a lie is true, we can make it true for us. So the central idea of live no lies is this is the devil's strategy. The devil's strategy is deceitful ideas. That's what he said to Eve. Did God really say there's a deceitful idea? You're never worthy of being loved. They'd be better off if you weren't here. You'd be better off without them. There's a deceitful idea that played to disordered desires that are normalized in sinful society. Let's talk about disordered desires. So the enemy doesn't come to lie to us about things that aren't appealing to us. He's finding disordered desires in our flesh. The Bible says that he prowls around like a lion, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. What I hear when I read that is that he's, he's slow, he's patient, he's methodical, and he's studying me. And he's studying you and he's watching. He's watching. And, and not that desires are bad. God created us this way. But what happens is that desires can become disordered. They start to be the driver of our lives. So the enemy is watching and he's waiting. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So he's finding our disordered desires in our flesh. And he's custom tailoring his lies to our desires that align with what you already want, what you already want to do, and what you already think will make you happy. He's custom tailoring it. He's like a fisherman. And he's going to try bait after bait after bait. And he doesn't care what the bait is as long as you don't know there's a hook in it. So we have these disordered desires in us. Maybe there's a desire for peace. You just want to numb some pain. There's a disordered desire for that so badly that you think you're going to find it in alcohol. You think you're going to find it in drugs. You think you're going to find it in smoking weed. You think you're going to find it in pornography. You think you're going to find there's something, there's a desire, and you believe that these things are going to make you happy. And he's baiting you with it. And then when it's normalized in society, well, everybody's smoking weed. Everybody's watching pornography. Everybody's sleeping around. Everybody's living together before they get married. Everybody's doing these things because it's, it's already something that we believe will make us happy. Maybe it's more money. Maybe it's a different job. Maybe it's traveling. Maybe it's a spouse that's not yours. The Bible says that the enemy masquerades around as an angel of light. He's not ugly. We're not tempted by ugly things. We're not tempted by things that look awful. We talked about it a few weeks ago that the road to destruction is wide and it's full of people. That's confusing to us. It's full of people. So temptation is enticing to our desires. What we believe will make us happy. Eve desired it. It looked good to her. James 1, 14 and 15 says it this way. It says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. There's evil within us. By their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The second foundational belief that Jesus had about the devil is that he's a murderer. 
He is out to steal, kill, and destroy. So ultimately, he's there to entice us, to bait us. He's watching and he's waiting. And then eventually it leads to death. Maybe the death of of a marriage, a relationship, parenting, finances, your own mental health, your community. Death. Temptation is the, uh, it's the second look. We've all been in this moment. You're driving down the road and somebody is jogging along the sidewalk or jogging in their jogging clothes or lack thereof jogging clothes. And because you're um, an attentive driver, you notice there's a person on the sidewalk. That's a positive thing. But it's, it's not so much that you see this person. It's are you taking the second look? What is the second thought in rearview mirrors count? So you've noticed the person, but where are you going to allow your mind and your eyes to go after that? Is what is enticing and what is tempting? What is enticing, what is tempting? I, I will tell you what does not get a second look from me. Never, not once, have I considered giving a second look to salad. I'm not that girl. I'm not that girl. I am the girl that will be at lunch with all the girls, and I'll be the only one not eating a salad. Ain't doing it. I'm not doing it because here's the thing. They started putting the the calories in menus, and you cannot convince me that that salad is better for me than a cheeseburger or a steak or anything else. So I I will not go the salad route. Salads do not tempt me. I've never not once been tempted by a vegetable or by a salad. (laughs) I was at a lady's gathering lunch one time and I was late getting there so they were ordering for me and the plate that I ordered was like this huge plate I like to eat and it was like this pork thing with gravy and grits and I mean it was amazing and they were like is she is that a joke is she serious and the girl that was there who knew me goes oh she she's definitely not joking she's serious you should put that order in now I am not here for no salad there are times when people are in a dating relationship and they would say things like, oh, you know, like when you go on a first date, they just want to, you know, eat a little salad because they don't want to look a certain way. Landon's like, what? Girls do that? Because <laughs> mine did not. She was like, here to eat. You take me out to eat, we're going to go. So salad doesn't get a second look from me. It's not enticing to me. But if you want to talk about the salted caramel chocolate cake from the Kinling, now we're talking. That's my favorite cake. And then last week I was at Down on Grayson, and they have this chocolate sheet cake. It is good. It is very good. It is very, very good. That is tempting to me. There's a second look temptation there. That's enticing to me. It's not a salad. So the enemy is not coming to you with a thing that is not tempting to you. There's no temptation for a second look and something that is not enticing to you. And it's not that I am bad because I don't want vegetables. It's that I'm a human with certain bents and wirings. So there's no shame around it. It's just, this is my thing. You've got your thing. And it's not a shameful thing. It's just, this is the way that we are tempted. These are the things that look good to us. And then it gets normalized in society. And it's, it's not just that the, there's a problem in the world. And it's not so much that, that we do evil as much as we want to do evil. We want to do evil. We want to do what is right. But also deep down in us, there's something that wants to do wrong. It's the cartoon of you've got the angel on one side and you've got the devil on the other side. And the only reason that's an argument is because we like what this guy is saying. Something deep down within us likes what the devil is saying. There's some kind of lie there that we believe if we were to do that thing that it would make us happy. There's a war inside of us. There's a war going on for our souls. 
And I think if we just stop for a moment and acknowledge the fact that imaginations can actually have destructive ideas. Not all imaginations are great and they're not all bad, but they can have destructive ideas. Ideas can lead to the downfall of entire societies. There was a time where Germany, pre-World War II, was a leading country in the world. Pick your category. Arts, academics, poetry, architecture, even theology. There are a lot of theologians that came from Germany before World War II. And then an idea, an ideology enters the scene. And they go from being cultural leaders to Germany is no longer a leading world power in those ways. And it's easy to spot a toxic idea in other people. But it's almost impossible to detect it in our own lives because we are deceived. And we're all susceptible, all of us, we're all susceptible to being attacked by the enemy. Because warfare, spiritual warfare, is a battle to believe truth over lies. And I believe this is why Jesus came as a teacher of truth. He came as a teacher of truth. To reference back to the scripture I started with in John 8, 31, it says, And so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He, has come, he, has, he came to be a teacher of truth. That was what he told Pontius Pilate, I have come to teach truth. And then Paul teaches us, this is where we begin to get our strategy on how we're going to fight back. So we've unmasked the enemy some looked at who the devil is and what truth is. Here's, here's how we fight back. This is part of our strategy. Paul teaches it to us in Ephesians 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. If the devil is scheming and if he's watching and he's studying, how can we possibly re- fight against that? How can we have a strategy? Well, Paul gives it to us here. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Verse 13, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is the first thing he lists. This is number one. This is our first piece of armor. Is that we have the belt of truth buckled around our waist. It's central. It's holding all things together. And it's mentioned first. It's central for us in our armor, in our spiritual armor. He says, then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need truth. We need reality. And it needs to come from God's word. We need to have truth at the very most inward, central part of our lives because spiritual warfare is first and foremost a battle for truth. It's a battle for truth. And I think that it's important for us to acknowledge and to choose to engage with the thought that I might have believed lies. 
This is for all of us. We have to choose to engage with the thought that I might have believed lies and that the Holy Spirit can show me those lies and I can reject those lives and live more into God's truth than ever before. Mark 1.15 says this. This is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Maybe depending on, on your church background or history, maybe the word repent is not necessarily a positive one. But I want to share with you today that it is an amazing gift from God. The Bible says that it's the kindness of the Lord that draws us to repentance. Repentance is a pathway that God has given us to be on, on the right track with him to be in right relationship with him. That when we confess our sins and we repent, he makes all things new. So we have to choose to engage with the idea that I might be believing lies. And when we repent from that, the word repent, metanoia, it comes from the Greek word metanoia, and the definition of that means to rethink. So rethink. And I think that one of the things we need to repent for and rethink is what we are allowing to shape our minds. What are we allowing to shape our children's minds? What are we allowing to shape our minds? Are we allowing more social media and the internet to shape our minds? Are we allowing uh, news pundits and news channels and political people, are we allowing them to shape our minds? Are we allowing God's word to shape our minds? And when we repent, we confess those things. And we change the way we think about it. We change the way we think about how much we're ingesting into our brains. We change the way we think about it. We change the way we, we approach God's word. And we let God's word begin to shape the way we think. And so the call today, we end every service with the response time. And our prayer team's going to come up. And they're available for prayer. And we're going to serve communion. And the team is going to lead us in prayer. So the call for us today as we end our time together is to repent from giving in to our disordered desires. So repent from giving in to our disordered desires and to repent for believing lies about what will make us happy and for giving into the flesh and participating in sin that's been normalized in society. Because for all of us, there are things that we believe will make us happy that have been sown into our minds from the enemy. We're deceived. We're deceived to think that certain things will make us happy. And so how are we going to know truth? If we're to walk out truth, and even going back to John, John 8, where he says, you will know the truth. The truth is in me. He says, the truth is in my word. So how are we going to know truth? We're going to know truth because we're going to follow Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus. This is how we're going to know truth. Jesus said he came to teach truth, that he is truth. And it's his truth that sets us free. Not what we imagine truth to be or want truth to be or feel that truth is. It's truth of who Jesus is and the truth that Jesus teaches. So how are we going to know it? We're going to follow Jesus and we're going to learn his ways. So part of our response time today, you can respond with that. Maybe you're turning back to Jesus Maybe you've gone your own way and you've done different things, following different ideologies. Maybe you've been taken captive by different thoughts of culture and society. And today's the day to come back and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus. And maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus and allowed him to be in the driver's seat of your life. Today is the day that you can do that. Today is the day that you can come down and you can let a prayer partner know, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. 
I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna declare Jesus as my Lord and Savior and I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow him. I'm gonna learn his ways. You can do that today. During our response time, you can come down and pray that with a prayer partner. The second way that we're going to know truth is that we're going to be in a faith community. We're gonna be in a faith community. We're not gonna be isolated. And we talked about this a lot last week, but I believe that there's probably a lie that has been sown into your mind if you're resistant to faith community. There's some kind of lie that has been believed that you believe will make you happy. The isolation is the way. There's only one person who wants you isolated and that's the enemy. When we're in a faith community, we're able to get input from people who are also following Jesus and learning his ways. And we can share with them an idea that we have, maybe a preferred reality that doesn't yet exist. We can share these things with them and they can help speak truth to us because they're also following Jesus. And we can say to them, hey, I just, I believe that I can fly. And then we like, you don't, you can't. You don't have wings. It's not your nature. You cannot fly. You should not fly. Don't try it. Do not try to fly. And there's protection in that. The Bible says that love speaks the truth, that love protects. It's protective to speak truth to people. There's protection in that. And we get that in a faith community. And if you've been resistant to a faith community, maybe this is the day for you to sign up for a small group. We just launched small groups. This is a perfect time to jump in. And I know sometimes if you're new in town, you're new around here, maybe this is your first Sunday. Like, how do I find a faith community? Like, is there a sign somewhere? Yes, we do have a sign out there and it's about small groups and you can find it. This is exactly why we have small groups is so that you can have a pathway for faith community because we need one another. There's something in you that people need and there's something in people that you need. The Bible calls it iron sharpening iron need faith community. Maybe that's your action step for today is joining a small group. And the third way that we're going to know truth is that we're going to read his word. We're going to be a biblically literate church. It is difficult to recognize a lie in the world that is not true in God's word if we do not know God's word. So we have to know God's word. We're going to be in his word. We're going to, and when we're in God's word, we know God's nature. And then when somebody says something about God, we're like, no, that's, that's just not his nature. We're going to know his nature. We're going to know his, his truth and his word. We're going to know God's wisdom. And when the world comes with wisdom, if it doesn't match with God, we know that it's just not kingdom. We recognize it differently. We're in God's way, in, in his word, we learn his ways. We learn his love. And we learn his laws, which are not separate from his love. God's laws of gravity are not separate from his love of, I don't want you to smash your face and break your bones. That is his love for us. The laws that he has put into place and how we should live our lives so that we can live the best life possible in Christ. So when we're in his word, we know his nature, we know his love, we know his ways, we know his wisdom, if we're in his word. And when you're in a community of people, they can help you be in his word. I know the Bible can be an intimidating book, even though it is the best seller every single year. It is the best seller. It can be intimidating. 
It's huge. It has multiple authors. It spans thousands of years. It spans many different areas, and it has uh, several different authors. It, it can be intimidating. Like, hey, where do I jump in? Well, how about you get in a faith community, and they can help you. A faith community could be like, hey, let's start in John. Let's, let's read together. Let's find a version uh, Bible reading plan, and let's do it together, and let's talk about it. People can help you be in God's Word so you can know God's ways. If reading God's Word is not yet a part of your daily rhythm, maybe today is the day where you say, today is going to be the day that I decide that I'm going to be in God's Word every day. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to know all of the answers, but could you read a verse a day? Could you read a proverb a day? Could you read a psalm a day? Could you read a chapter from the New Testament a day? You can, there, there, is, there is a way that you can be in God's word every day. And then as we meditate on God's word, his truth comes face to face with the lies that we've been believing. And then in that meditation time where we're thinking about God's word, we see that it doesn't align. And that's when we have a moment to choose, I'm gonna walk in God's ways. I've been tempted by these other things. I've been looking for peace. I've been looking for maybe respect or love or intimacy or my needs to be fulfilled over here, but that's not what is congruent with God's word. This is what God's word says about these things. So if you would go ahead and stand, we're gonna start our response time and our prayer team's gonna come on down. So I'm wondering which of these three, I, I believe there's one for every one of us where we can level up in these things. If you're doing all of these things, I'm sure that there's one that is maybe uh, could, could be improved in your life. And then also just as you're reflecting, what are some lies that you can ask the Holy Spirit to show you, to reveal to you that maybe you've been believing? There's a scripture in the Old Testament where David was praying this kind of inventory, self-reflective prayer. I want to share it with us today, and I want it to be a prayer that guides us in our response time. It's Psalm 139, and David prayed this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me to the way everlasting. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 2, it says, Not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. So maybe for you, the response time is to be renewed in your mind, to set your mind on the things of Christ, to set your mind on God's word and to begin with repentance. How can we rethink about these things? And I would invite you to come down and let a prayer partner know, share with them. You're in the confidentiality of a prayer partner. Let them know that these are the ways that I've been tempted. These are the lies that the enemy has been coming at me with. And this is my I will statement. I'm gonna be in God's word. I'm gonna be in community. I'm gonna follow Jesus. If that's for you, you're welcome to come down. I'm gonna say your prayer over you. I'm gonna say a prayer for us. Lead us in a time of prayer. I'm just gonna ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you personally, to impress upon your heart what your I will statement is. I will. I will follow Jesus. I will be in a faith community. I'm gonna read his word that he will let you know what that is. And then as I'm done, you can come on down for communion and for prayer. Lord, we thank you for truth. We thank you that you renew our minds. God, I just pray that you will search us and know us. God, I pray that you will search our hearts. God, would you try us? Would you search us and know our thoughts? God, do you know our thoughts? And God, would you reveal to us where our thoughts are not aligned with your word? 
where our thoughts are not aligned with your ways, where our thoughts are not aligned with your nature and your truth and your love. God, the areas where we've allowed our minds to be more shaped by culture than by your word, God, we repent for that. God, we repent that we're consumers more of technology and entertainment and design than we are of your word. God, we repent for the times that we spend more time indulging in these things than in a faith community or in your word. Lord, I pray that you will speak to each of us where our our, I will statement is, I will will be in your word, I will follow you, I will be in community. Lord, would you speak to, to each of us what it is you would have us do to respond? And Lord, would we have the courage to be obedient in what you're calling us to do? Lord, we love you, we honor you, we surrender our lives and our hearts and our minds to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.